Welcome to Talking About Glaucoma, episode number 34 for May 7th, 2021. Here's another recording from the vaults that is getting to see the light of day. It's one of three episodes recorded in person back in late February 2020, just before COVID derailed us all from business as usual. My apologies for the sound quality on this one. I was experimenting with the Boya dual lapel mic, recording directly from my phone. Big mistake. Future recordings from episode 37 onward will go back to my professional recording gear. Email me at podcast at iguy.org if you would like to be on the show to discuss a topic in glaucoma, or if you have questions that you would like to have answered on a future episode. Check out West Coast Glaucoma on Instagram for short form videos that can also be found on my Rob Scherzer YouTube channel, where your subscription will help improve future content. In this episode, I talked with Daniel LaRoche. We have crossed paths for many years at conferences, having both started our practices at the same time, but this was the first time we sat down to record our conversation. Daniel LaRoche is Director of Glaucoma Services and President of Advanced Eye Care of New York. He is affiliated with the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary and Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, New York. I'm Rob Scherzer, a Vancouver, Canada-based glaucoma specialist, podcaster, and health IT expert, and we're talking about glaucoma. Daniel Roche, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. These days, there are a lot of different surgical options for glaucoma, and there are so many different things that we have to think about in terms of what's going to be effective, what's going to, and in, included in that, I guess, is cost-effectiveness, too, and where the population is that we're uh, operating on. So, uh, I understand you have a surgical technique uh, that that I've seen your videos for too. Okay. If you want to maybe explain your okay. external superchoroidal approach. I'll start with and the, when you would use it. Okay, I'll just briefly start with the paradigm shift um, in terms of the way I approach glaucoma. Initially, I used to approach glaucoma with medical therapy. That's what we're taught with the preferred practice pattern. Uh, but with the recent MIGS uh, data that's come out, the studies that come out, uh, cataract surgery has a profound intraocular pressure lowering effect right. early on. Uh, and it's much safer than uh, trabeculectomy. Uh, a couple of studies that come out to mind, the Morse Field Eye Study and the Collaborative Initial Glaucoma Treatment Study showed that trabeculectomy patients did better IOP lowering compared to medical therapy, but they had more complications. It's always that trade-off. And yeah. so what I'm seeing in my practice is uh, taking a cataract out and doing MIGS. It's a much safer procedure with low complications and excellent efficacy in lowering intraocular pressure. So that's my first go-to. Um, and currently, uh, items like cataract hydrus, cataract omni, cataract hook, those types of MIGS, I've had very good results. Um, I did like the side pass when it was available, uh, and you know my, my my family's from Haiti, and I have relatives in Haiti. And you know, as Haiti is not a wealthy country, and there's a lot of glaucoma in Haiti, so I always thought, well, how can I, how can we make something affordable like the side pass for Haiti? Right. And so that's how I came up with the Abbott external supercoroidal. Right, just for the audience, the side pass is. Yeah. It's a superchoroidal shot. Yeah, side pass was a superchoroidal shot. It's ab internal. So ab internal. Through the inside. Uh, exactly. And so um, 
I started to research the size of the side pass and internal diameter is about 300 microns, similar to the tube shunts that we use, like the Omni valve and the Barber valve. And um, the, those are FDA approved for intraoperative use. So I cut the silicone out and I was used to placing tubes in the sulcus, in ciliary sulcus. And I knew that tube shunts would be safer in terms of position in ciliary sulcus as opposed to in the anterior chamber next to the cornea. And I was also used to placing tubes. In pseudophagic guides. In pseudophagic guides. And I was also used to um, creating a scleral flap. And I became comfortable uh, with the suprachoroidal space uh, from draining choroidal infusions. And I realized you, know, you could cut down through the sclera to the choroid. And you know, it was a spongy material. It's not like you're going to get an immediate hemorrhage like you were. We thought of only the residency training. And so, yeah, you know, and the pseudophagic patient that needed additional surgery, but I didn't want to do trabeculectomy because despite having done perfect trabeculectomies, many years later, sometimes uh, people can get endophthalmitis. And I've had a couple of cases where 20 years later, after successful, successful trabeculectomy, people have gone abroad, uh, gotten an infection, came back, and they've lost the eye. Right. And if you just saw that statistic, 1% chance per year. Yeah. Also, if we're talking about patients getting surgery at a younger age, if they're getting surgery in their 40s or 50s, they have a big chance in their lifetime of getting that endophthalmitis. So that's how I came up with that technique. And, and I, I did it in a patient. Uh, and with these techniques, just like the side patch, you can get initial hypotony, and I leave viscoelastic in the eye. Uh, but she healed, and she did very well. Good visual recovery, good low intraocular pressure. And I started to continue to do it more. And, and those patients who, after cataract um, or goniotomy, uh, at the time of Kahook, if they, if they didn't do well with medical therapy, that if they needed something else, I would do the supercoral procedure. Uh, and so that's how we got started with that. So what, what is the tubing material that you're using that consists as a low-cost procedure? Okay, well, initially, um, I had cut the silicone from the armored valve tubing. Now I use the uh, New World Medical Tube Extender. And that costs about $100. That's, uh, you know, armored valve could be about $500. Valve is a little more expensive. Um, in developing countries, uh, the Oralab tube is available for $30. And they can cut the silicone from the Oralab tube. Um, those are that's approved for intraocular use. Uh, there is silastic tubing that can be used that's as little as ten dollars. Sterile silastic tubing. Right. So like um, catheter tubing is. Yes. The the thing is, although it's made from the same material, like a medical grade six silicone from Dow, um, the tubings I mentioned previously are approved for intraocular use, and some of these others are not necessarily approved for intraocular use, but it's the same material and right. sterile. So I have used them successfully in developing countries because you get them for as little as $10, and it works well. We've used it in Ethiopia, and Haiti, and Nigeria. Actually, a, a colleague of mine used to keep some silastic tubing available when he was faced with patients who had previous uh, retina surgery and had a, a buckle around the eye. And if, a, if there just wasn't room to dissect away to get in any sort of tube shunt, you would just take silastic tubing, get it just underneath the buckle, and uh, that's, that's, I think they call that modified shock it. Yeah, and Gord Douglas was, yeah. was doing that. Yeah, and so uh, this is a nice affordable option because globally, you know, you have 60 million people with glaucoma. Um, they're not going to be able to afford some of the more expensive products we have in the United States. Uh, so when I do travel abroad, abroad, 
I try to work with the uh, local doctors who are good at cataract surgery. And then once they have good hands for like small incision cataract surgery, they're halfway there. And then we add uh, affordable techniques like using a 23-gauge cystitome made by Eagle Lab. It's a straight 23-gauge cystitome with a bent needle. It's similar to the Kahook blade that costs about $4. Kahook blade is about anywhere from $300 to $400. Uh, and it's supercoil technique. And so that allows you to have two to three procedures there that's affordable, that can be done, uh, can be done by local surgeons. Uh, nowadays, uh, in pseudophagic patients, to get maximum efficacy, uh, I'll do the combined uh, goniotomy and supercoidal tube. Mm -hmm. uh, we have about 30 patients and six-month follow-up data. The intraocular pressure uh, pre-op is about 21 on four medications. And at six months post-op, post it's uh, 12 on one medication. With no blood, uh, so combination microinvasive glaucoma surgery, I think is going to be uh, part of the path of the future. Uh, we're, it's still early. We're trying to get more data still. Right. Yeah, it would be great to have like one year and two and three years. Yeah, it's really still though. early because we've seen with some other mixed procedures looking great, and then mm -hmm. three years just, just kind of trails right. Absolutely. So it's a really exciting time in glaucoma, um, and you know. Here in America, we have you know the hydras, the ice tent, and more expensive devices. But we, you know, I like to think also to make glaucoma surgical treatment affordable and accessible uh, to the rest of the world uh, in resource poor areas that may not have these things. Yeah, and things aren't you know it's not rich everywhere in the United States either. So mm -hmm. it's something that should be considered here with the really high healthcare costs. That's true uh, because. Nowadays, at hospitals and insurance companies, you know, they're looking at your utilization right. of devices, uh, OR time, and things of that nature. So sometimes I will resort to these less expensive techniques to reduce my costs to the hospital, uh, to the insurance companies as well, uh, and, uh, you know, to, to, to make it affordable. Yeah. I'll include a link in the show notes to your YouTube video to, to show the actual technique. But okay. if you could want to just explain it briefly. Uh, so you do the cataract removal first. Okay. Yeah. First, I'll do the cataract removal. Uh, and then I'll, I'll explain to you the combined technique that I do. I'll do the cataract removal first. Then I fill the anterior chamber with uh, a viscoelastic, like a Helon GV or endocoat. And then I'll rotate the patient's head 45 degrees away from me and tilt the microscope 45 degrees away towards me. Uh, and then use a direct gonio lens, uh, like a Katina disposable lens or a Swan Jacob lens. And uh, with viscoelastic, I place in the cornea and I focus uh, down to the surface of the cornea, place the gonio lens on it, and then focus down with the foot pedal to make sure I have a good view of the trabecular meshwork. Uh, and then I'll go in with a 23-gauge cystitome that's a straight 23-gauge cystitome made by Eagle Labs. Uh, so it's straight, and it can go in and unroof the canal. Or sometimes I'll unroof part of it, and the other part you can use a Sinsky hook and open up the canal as well with a Sinsky hook. Um, and so you'll have a nice goniotomy there. And I'll leave viscoelastic in the eye because you will get uh, a little bit of hand reflux with this. And I rotate the head back and I put the microscope straight back into the 
uh, upright position. Then uh, I'll do an inferior uh, temporal conjunctival peritum. And I'll give a peribulbar block for this portion, okay? Because they do feel that dissection. So I'll give a peribulbar block on a table. And infratemporal, is, that's chosen because you're doing a, a temporal clear cornea cataract? Extraction. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting so clear cornea temporals. I'm already in the temporal position. And so I do infratemporal. Plus, I like to preserve the superior conjunctival for any future uh, glaucoma surgery for the future. So I'll do inferior temporal. I use uh, hemostasis to maintain cautery. And then I'll use a, a 0.124 set and a crescent blade. And I'll cut a, a scleral flap with the hinge about four millimeters by four millimeters. Uh, and uh, the hinge is located, it's inferior. So I lift the flap up and the hinge is inferior. Got it. Okay. And uh, then I'll make a paracentesis superior to the cornea and I'll inject a little more endocote to create the space between the iris and the intraocular lens, okay, and the sulcus. And I'll use a 23-gauge straight needle, approximately 2 millimeters from the limbus, and make an incision uh, beneath the scleral flap into the ciliary sulcus. For this part, the pupil is dilated. Okay, it's already dilated from the cataract surgery. So the people is dilated for that. And then I'll cut the tube, I'll take a tube extender, I'll cut it with a bevel, and I'll have the bevel facing the intraocular lens. And I'll insert it through that incision. And then I'll withdraw it a little bit. I'll make sure I'm in the, uh, the ciliary sulcus. Sometimes you have to be careful. You don't want to be too anterior up against the iris. And, you'll, and I'll verify the position of the tube with a psychodialysis spatula to make sure I'm in front of the IOL. You want to make sure you're not behind the intraocular lens. Okay? Uh, and on a rare occasion, if I don't have enough space in the ciliary sulcus because of the anatomy of the eye, I may put the tube in front of the iris. But I like to put it behind the iris to minimize the risk of corneal edema. So then I'll retract the tube partially so it's not in the visual axis. And then I'll use a tenoproline suture and tie it through the tube, through the sclera, and tie it with three throws. I'd like to put it through this tube so the tube does not move. Okay? Then a couple of minutes behind that suture, I use a crescent blade and make an incision through the sclera to the supercoral space. That's within the space of the scleral flap. And I gently just go back and forth, and usually you'll feel the resistance decrease, and you're not in the space, and I make it wide enough to be able to insert the tube. And I'll cut about two millimeters of the tube just past that incision. And with the 2.12 forceps, one, I'll grab the sclera, the other one, I'll grab the tip of the tube and just tuck it in. And I'll just tuck it in. Exactly. And I cut it flush. There's no bevel, just flush. And I tuck it in the superfluous space. Then I close the flap, suture it with two interrupted aerovical sutures, close the conjunctival peritomy with a running locking aerovical sutures. I'll remove some of the viscoelastic, not all of it, because I do anticipate hypotony. Uh, so I'll leave some of the viscoelastic in the eye. I give intracamal vigamox, subconjunctival kenalog. Um, I'll have the patient sit up after the procedure uh, to uh, reduce uh, any backflow of episclerovenous pressure, okay, because we do have that goniotomy there. Um, you may see a little bit of heme or small hypema 
the next day. They should usually clear as I auto-regulates over the, the next week. Uh, and you should get a low pressure. And uh, I see the patient with steroids uh, postoperatively uh, four times a day. Antibiotics four times a day. I'll use that for about three weeks. Uh, antibiotics will probably use for, you know, seven to ten days. With the steroids, I'll keep on for about three weeks and I taper it off. And I'll see them post-op day one, maybe one week, three weeks. So why the, both the goniotomy and the supercoidal? Because um, the goniotomy I would found, be the opposite end. Because it would be nasal. Yes. you're going across the AC. We've gotten a little bit better results with that combination. Um, the initial supercoidal alone, um, intractable pressure would be about 21 or 4 medications and come down to about 12, 13 or 2.5 medications. So um, I wanted to try to get a little bit better because uh, there's been some other uh, publications about combination mix right. and um, I just wanted to try this out and I've been doing that with success. Yeah, so if you're getting after 12 and one medication that's like a one year post tube shunts which is really remarkable with a much more cost effective procedure. Yes. And yes. you still have the space saved up top for exactly travel tube shunts. So exactly. Sounds great. Well, keep me posted on uh, the long-term follow-up. We will. Um, you know, we do have a cohort that we're following. Uh, we've also applied for IRB approval uh, at the hospital to follow this long-term cohort. And uh, it's exciting. And uh, I think that, you know, it's going to give a lot of hope uh, to people in resource-poor areas so they have, like, some concrete procedures that will work. And this, you know, taking the cataract out, being able to do these two procedures, um, it's, it's really fabulous. I think because I've not done a trabeculectomy in the past year. Uh, the only thing I've done is a glaucoma tube shot for neovascular glaucoma and uveitic glaucoma. I do not recommend the supercoidal tube for neovascular glaucoma or uveitic glaucoma. There are a couple of studies that show that you know it doesn't work as well as the AMI valve. Uh, but except for those two types of glaucoma, uh, where I've used tube shunts, right. I have not need to do yeah, tobacco There was two cases yeah. of blood aqueous barriers violated. Yeah. So for me, this has led to the death of tobacco yeah. oh. <laughs> it's, it's such an effective procedure, <laughs> beloved procedure. But you know, I, I was so a big tobacco person. I did a lot of tribes every week. But, you know, that, that long-term risk of endophthalmitis, Bleb dysesthesias, these large disfiguring bleb sometimes, ocular surface disease, you don't get that with this. Right. And also, the, you know, unpredictable, whatever looks great on the table, you don't know what you're going to see the next day, or, yeah. Okay. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. That's our show for today. Talking About Glaucoma is a podcast of indeterminate frequency and duration. It's available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and wherever fine podcasts are curated. Please rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to it, and tell your friends about it so that it can reach more listeners. Follow me at West Coast Glaucoma on Instagram, Talking About Glaucoma on Facebook, and Rob Scherzer on YouTube. Drop me a line at podcast at iGuy.org with your show ideas or questions you would like to have answered on future episodes. Keep informed to prevent needless loss of vision from glaucoma, stay safe, wear a mask, and get vaccinated. 
See you next time on Talking About Glaucoma.